Good evening. Okay, here we go. Welcome to Everything Entrepreneurship with Walter and Yarrow. And welcome to Everything Entrepreneurship with your host, Walter Haas, and my good friend, Yarrow Starrick. How are you going tonight, Yarrow? Hello, Walter. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well, especially for 14 days straight working in this incubator. And we've got some good stories for you tonight, uh, all about funding. Isn't that right, Yarrow? Yes, yes, funding. So Everything Entrepreneurship is what you're listening to, and uh, Walter and I talk about startups, and... I think most of the time you talk about startups, Walter. We have to bring it back to information products at some point a bit more. I mean, sure, you're, sure. you're taking there's, over my show. A, well, there's a very good crossover, right? Because the uh, skills you need to start a startup are exactly the same as to start a successful internet business. The amounts of money are just different. Hmm. I think the objectives are strategically different. I think the, the way you think about what you're trying to do is different. Because I know I thought way different when I... You know, going back 12 years ago when I had no money coming from the internet, what I was thinking about with a business was how can I avoid full-time job? You know, I wasn't even thinking multi-million dollars, big companies. And I think some people do straight away. I, I was, you know, not, I guess not that ambitious. I was all about how do I get away from needing a job and I want to be able to move out from my parents' house and I want to have enough money to buy mountains of chocolate and, uh, you know, that was the most important motivating factors for me at the time, which are obviously different. If you want to make a dent in the universe when you're 20 years old, uh, you probably have a bigger goal at that stage. That being said, my goals did expand, but they were <laughs> incremental to achievement of results. They weren't there from day one. That's right. But like I keep saying, internet business, or in your case, uh, not wanting a job, you still go through the same processes that someone else who starts a startup goes through. Yes. You just get to them earlier. For example, if, you're, if you need to get customers, you get customers right up front. And the guy doing the startup needs to get customers right up front as well, mm-hmm. except he needs 100 times more customers. So he's going to get into the ad buying sort of stuff first before you do. You might do some blog comments and then you might get like 10 customers and that might be fine for you. And then you go on further and you automate that process. So suddenly it becomes passive for you. While the startup guy is still trying to ramp up his money and then get funding so he can get more customers. And then maybe a year or two down the track, he's building, he or she could be building systems to automate that and you know, increase the growth. Definitely. And and both parts, still same skill set. Yes, definitely same skill set when you look at it at the micro level. You're you're basically doing marketing and customer acquisition, product delivery and customer support. All the same thing, just different numbers on each of those things. But Walter, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. I feel like we haven't introduced the show. And I also remembered we also have to answer John Paul's question from two weeks ago. right. We apologize, John. Paul? Yes, John, we wanted to get to your question last episode, but we kind of ended up having a, a long thread that we just kept following. So we promised to get to your question. Let me read it out for everyone to listen to. This is in response to a podcast that had a bit of discussion about search engine optimization and the long tail. That was uh, episode, let me double check that, 13 or on episode 15 now, which is the one you're listening to currently. So John asked... I'm totally impressed with the amazing features of Longtail Pro, which, by the way, is a piece of software for people who don't know. But besides choosing proper keywords, we should have the knowledge about link building and other things that Google considers while deciding rankings. Then he asks, which strategy is best for link building? Either a 
I think he's meant to say tiered architecture or something else. Walter. Ooh, ooh, this is a this is quite a hot topic at the moment because I've been doing a lot of work with a consulting client who's been hit by the last three Google updates. And uh, one of his sites actually got um, got a man- manual penalty, which almost wiped out his entire profit. Now, the way he's gone about fixing that is straight uh, standard, stock standard Google recommendations. That's building good content. Now, apart from building good content, though, if you're going to do anything like link building, then you really need to find the high uh, PR, so domains, um, in your little niche. Um, So if it's a .org that's been around for a while, has a good page rank, um, doesn't have too many outbound links, then that's maybe one you go for. And you would do that probably a little differently to normal link building strategies by actually approaching the owner of that site, building up a little bit of a relationship, maybe doing a guest article with a do follow link on there as, you know, a uh, your payment for the article. Mm-hmm. That's but, nice you know, yeah, it's, you know, old school, old school and link this building. This is to recover from a penalty that this person's received. What was the penalty for? Uh Bad link building. Okay. You know, which is like what? Which is, you know, comment spam, uh, directory listing, linking. Um, I think there were some, you know, there was a bit of a tiered architecture going on there as well. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of bad stuff. Mm. Uh, too many similar uh, keywords in the link. So link, linking to your domain with uh, exactly the same keywords in every single link is right. a bad idea. So it looked like he was potentially buying links across a range of sites or maybe yeah, someone exactly. to do that. Cause it, yeah, this is an right. interesting topic. Uh, I, I'm actually knee-deep in a uh, traffic guide for bloggers and I've gone through my old guide, which is SEO for bloggers, and I'm basically turning into a traffic guide and pulling out the techniques from that. A lot of the techniques are no longer as applicable as they once were. One of them being getting directory listings. When I first started my blog, DMZ and Yahoo directory were the two big directories that were basically mandatory SEO advice to get yourself listed in. And Yahoo's was actually a paid directory, but they had high page rank, as you said. And it just was something you did as a natural part of that step one of SEO. Now, that is all no followed now for sure you're not getting link juice from that and of course it sounds like what kind of happened here with this situation the links were just from directories just from spamming comments there wasn't any natural link growth cycle there wasn't a good spread of authority links because uh, I, I do think there's a, a place for getting directory listings why not you, you want your site to be listed in directory but if that's all you do then that's not going to be helping your SEO rankings because nothing's natural about it so and this is interesting too because I've just been floating a few questions on Facebook on what are the link building techniques people are using currently, what's working. And one person said to me, even guest article writing is not good for SEO. It's good for direct traffic, but because it's become this sort of stock standard way of getting incoming links and you're not really earning them for anything other than writing an article. It's not like the person who 
published your content did it because they thought it was amazing. It's just that you agreed or they agreed to publish your content and they gave you a link because of that. So I'm thinking, and again, a lot of this is all hearsay. We don't really know. That's the, I think the biggest problem. It's a lot of people testing and then making assumptions that we don't know how Google really works. But what I'm getting as a general feedback from people is they're not even worrying about SEO in a focused way because they don't get keywords reported to them anymore in their analytics data since Google's turned that off for the last month of last year. Uh, they don't know whether half the linking practices are legit anymore or not. And everyone's always said natural link building process is the way to go. So really, if you have a content marketing strategy, you're going to grow organically anyway. But I think what I'm kind of consensus hearing is that, you know, let SEO handle itself, do the fundamentals, right? Get a good plugin for your blog, make sure you're using nice titles and, and nice headlines, um, you know, hashtags, permalinks, tagging all these things that normally your WordPress platform or whatever it is you do uses. But beyond that, it's actually all about social media nowadays is what I'm hearing for traffic. Everyone is either Pinteresting or podcasting or YouTubing or Facebooking or Google Plusing. And they're doing that as their main sources of referral traffic. And that is on some areas helping with their SEO, but they're not doing it as a, I guess, a very specific SEO strategy. It's just a marketing traffic generation strategy. So to tie this back into John Paul's question, um, I actually think there's no such thing as a link building strategy anymore. And the SEOs of the world will definitely disagree with me. I think it's just a marketing strategy nowadays. And I'm almost glad because I've personally relied on just natural organic Google traffic coming to me because I was an early starter of blogging. And that was great for many years, but it's gone down over the last two years. And it's forced me to go, you know what? I do need to diversify. I mean, I've always diversified a little bit. I've had a podcast going and I've, I've jumped on social media when it's come about, but it's not replaced a lot of what search engines have delivered to me. And it's shown me that, you know what, I'm going to have to up my game a little bit and hustle a bit more in other areas because I can't be as reliant on traffic from SEO as I have before. And one more point before I turn the mic back over to you, Walter, because I'm hogging it here. But... I did have a chat with um, Sunil, who was a, an ex-columnist on EJ, my blog, and he also has a Make Money Online blog and, and has a bunch of niche sites, sites. And he recently recovered some of his niche sites from penalties or you know penguin, penguin and Panda issues back up to what they were beforehand. And I asked him, well, he came to me first and, want, and asked if I wanted to know about it. And I said, definitely, I've, I've had some problems myself. I haven't had a penalty, but I've had a slow, gradual decline. And I asked him what was his thoughts. And he said, well, based on what he's hearing from Google reps nowadays, and this makes complete sense, you are losing or gaining rankings because Google is looking at what is the authority of the links you're getting. So you're getting linked from other websites and those websites are also getting links. Now, if the links that the, the sites that link to you are not as good as they used to be, they're getting old, they're not as frequent as they was, they're not updating their content as much as they were, then the links that you had that used to be quite valuable are, are reducing in value. So it forces you to always be collecting new links and always be getting new links from newer sources. And this is actually really interesting to me because I've seen a lot of new guys come into the market in the last two or three years, the Pat Flynn's and the Derek Halpern's uh, and a host of other people who've entered similar markets to mine and done really well. 
and sort of taken over from a lot of the older sites that used to rank well. And sure, these guys are very proactive and good at what they do, but they're also linking to each other and they're all new and they're all also very actively growing their links because they're hustling. They're in this business building phase and getting out there. So it's like they're helping each other because they're all working hard and they're all sharing together where, you know, the old guys might have had that experience early on, but they're not doing it as much or, they're, you know, they're, they're not new. <laughs> Simple as that. They're just not new anymore. So um, it's as a result older sites even though they should carry a lot of authority because of the age it's not as valuable as links from other sites that have fresh links fresh links from sites with fresh links and fresh content and then the one other thing that was also suggested was that there's simply way more competition now than there ever used to be so what used to be enough is not anymore and that goes for all sites across the entire internet you know there's more traffic online but there's way more sites competing for it as well. So you're just not going to get the same amounts as you used to get with the same effort that you used to apply. It's more of everything, more content, more sharing. And that's the way to not only get the rankings, but you got to keep doing it. It's a maintenance thing now. And that's the bit that I think is pretty harsh to take when you've been sort of sitting on your laurels as I have a few years ago and, you know, just kept riding the wave that was still riding, but it's starting to deplete now. And that's my rant about SEO. Wow, we just used up half the call, but um, <laughs> wow. There you go. But just before we get off SEO, uh, another thing, I, another little tactic that worked for me is optimizing the speed of your site. Now, with Kickspy, I actually have something like a hundred thousand pages, but optimizing those page loads doubled my Google traffic. Mm. So it might be more uh, evident to me because I have so many. Uh, pages, but you know, a, d a doubling in traffic is really um, impressive. Yeah, that's a that's a well known SEO factor. Page load time, um, number of advertisements you've got on your site is another one that gets floated around. If you have too many advertisements, you'll get a penalty. Uh, the lower quality links, all these things that could be hurting. But you know, I think the most important question is really how to get new links and how to get new quality links. That's the one that I think if you get good at, and if you have an answer to that question, that's how you win. Um, but it's not easy. Like, I mean, in a lot of ways, I think Walter with, even with Kickspy, um, some of your success there is simply lack of comp quality competition more so than any proactive link building you've done, right? I've done any proactive link building. <laughs> there you go. So, I mean, you're a good case in point. It's possible to still dominate or at least get lots of search traffic. Uh, what are you getting now per, per month from, Organic? 100,000 page views. Yeah, so 100,000 page views a month with no link building whatsoever. And, I mean, God, there's a, there's a call there, Walter. I think everyone would want to know how, how's that happening. Um, I don't know if you want to give away all your secrets, but uh, part of that, a big part of that, is entering a very new marketplace with a relatively, um, I won't say completely uncompetitive, but a relatively low competition environment and you have some good knowledge as well. So you've optimized and tested and played around with things, but you haven't needed to get out there and build a whole lot of incoming links, which is not going to last, obviously, Walter. You're gonna, you know, that's, no, no. <laughs> but you know that. I don't expect it to last either. Yeah. Okay. All right. Breathe. Well, shall we get on to funding? I guess we can do a half SEO call and a half funding call. But let's, let's talk about why we're even thinking about funding as a topic. All right. Well, the reason we're talking about funding today, or at least at the end of the call today, 
is I was in another pitch practice session for my incubator, Startmate, and one of the guest panelists in the session today was an ex-Silicon Valley venture capitalist. Now, uh, she came out... um, she, she came out to Australia having had some really successful runs on the board and one of the stories was she was in the seed round or sitting in the seed round when Twitter was being pitched. So for those unfamiliar, a seed round is when you ask for a small amount to get your business started. In Silicon Valley terms, that's usually a few hundred thousand dollars up to a million dollars and you use that money to create the first version of the product to see if the business will work. So that's quite a impressive. That's about as early as it gets, right, unless you're related to the founder, right? Exactly, yeah. Unless you're family, that's as early as any sort of venture capitalist or angel investor gets. Again, for those unfamiliar, an angel investor is a rich individual (laughs) who puts in some money to get businesses started. Right, and they'll often be part of the seed round too, won't they? They will. They're usually pre-seed round, so someone will come up to them at the coffee shop that they know. They go, oh, you've, you've got a good idea. Let me you know, pitch in some money first mm. and before anyone so else gets it. What's, what's your incubator? Is it Because the incubators put some money into what you guys are working on, right? Are they considered seed or? Pre-seed. Pre-seed. So, yeah, they could be just before, yeah, angel, <laughs> just before angel. It's it gets a bit murky, pedantic, there, I think here. But um, now yeah, I don't think it matters. If I remember, Twitter was actually a spin-off from Odeo, right? Like the the Odeo team. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Walter, or maybe you don't know. Uh, but if I do remember, they that was a podcasting tool because I actually had my podcast appear in that. I remember, and then they were talking about some sort of messaging system that ended up turning into Twitter, and then it took off, and then they went down that path instead. Uh, yeah, that's right. So Twitter wasn't their initial business, but they very quickly saw that this was a tool that was going. I, I think they were developing it um, in tandem, and then they realized that it was really going to take off. Yeah, and I hope we're getting that right. We're going to get people complaining, but you know that's good. We want feedback. So <laughs> anyway, so this girl woman was in the initial seed round as part of a investment fund, though, right? It wasn't her personally. Yeah, and this is what I wanted to get into um, because if you ever wonder, you know, how does this, this whole venture funding work and you may have heard that, you know, venture capitalists are bad and you shouldn't <laughs> go talk to them, um, which, yeah, which is a, uh, an attitude I, I hear a lot around internet marketers. But l- let me give you a bit of background on how all of that works so you have a better idea. So venture capitalists themselves don't actually own the money that they spend in the businesses. The way all that's set up is venture capitalists go go off and raise some money from other rich companies or big companies or rich individuals until they have a certain amount. So it may be $100 million, $200 million, but it's, it's up to a certain amount. And then they have a lifetime of maybe five years, 10 years to really double that money or you know, get, a, get a fantastic return. So in that case, what they do is then they find companies that they think will be huge successes. And that goes along till about halfway through that cycle and then they've spent half of the money 
then the second half of that cycle until the fund ends, they need to figure out, you know, what's actually going to work now. So at that stage, they're very unlikely to invest in any new companies uh, and really keep the money they have left to make the companies they have uh, successful. Now, that's generalizing a little bit, but um, it, it gives you an idea of how that's set up. Now, the fund managers themselves, so these are the VCs that you generally hear about, they manage that money and they're the ones that research and pick the companies that they're going to invest in. And then they typically get a bonus if they pick the right companies. So it's in their best interest to really pick a winner. But they're salaried, and, aren't they? They're not investing their own money. Then. No, that's right. But they get a bonus if they pick a Twitter, for instance. Right. right? I wonder how big so those bonuses are, though, because you know, the, 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 the investor might be getting a, a 100x return. You know, so 100,000 turns into 10 million, where the bonus, you might, you might get what? couple hundred grand for the year <laughs> something like that seems Ooh, like it depends on how big the the win is so how big the company you've invested in gets right. and how high up in the venture fund you are as well right so yeah it's all relative but what uh when you're pitching to a venture capitalist it's that what that you have to keep in mind so they're looking for a big win and if they get to the end of their fund or you know, close to the middle, then they're looking for not only a big win, but something that's not going to drain their, their capital, right? Mm -hmm. So when you pitch, what you really need to do is you need to hit all those points. Like make sure you tell them that this team and only this team can solve this problem. So here's a, here's a problem in the, in the industry and we us we have this sort of secret uh, secret skill that lets us really you know solve this problem and that secret skill might be technical or it might be you know having contacts in media that no one else has or maybe you have some uh, some suppliers that no one else can get but you have to have something that no one else has to invest in that uh, to solve that problem so investors will like you for that, or they might like the idea for that. And then you have to start hitting all those points for, you know, why, uh, why are you not going to fail? So th this competition here, they might crush you. Why are they not going to crush you? And then you have to have answers for that. And uh, at the end, uh, you know, you have to have a very, very clear idea of what your product is, Ultimately, you want a lot of customers coming on board already, uh, whether they're paying or not. Um, but you, you have to show some traction. So it's basically a no-brainer for these uh, venture capitalists to invest. That was, uh, that was a very long-winded background to getting funding. But uh, now uh, we wanted to have a little chat about why you would actually go for funding. So Definitely. I just want to, because you just brought this up, Walter, and it makes sense for me to say this. We, after we did the Cranky Ads pitches back a couple of years ago, when we were looking for funding for Cranky Ads, and we put together that pitch deck, um, I actually wrote a blog post for EJ about how we came, to came together with that pitch deck. And I'll put the link to it. It's, it's basically, it's quite simple, how we created our pitch deck for investors and tales from our first startup presentations. Uh, and in that, there was a list of things that we aim to to hit these pressure points these 
like you just said, one of them being we're the only group that can solve this problem. So just to rattle off those things there, what is the problem? What's the solution that we provide? What's the opportunity? So how big is the market? What's the distribution mechanism? What's the marketing you're going to use to get the word out? Uh, what have we achieved so far? So what kind of results have we got? Who's in the team and what's our background and why are we the best people to do it? Who are we up against in the competition? Uh, what's the business model we're actually planning to apply or are applying to make money? How much money do we want to get for, from investors? What do they get in return? Uh, legals and IP, have we covered that? Just to make sure we know what we're talking about with that area. And ideally, a demo of the product as well, which we had for Cranky Ads. And that, that is the dot point list that we put our pitch, to get, pitch deck together to answer those questions. So I'll put the article to go with this list if you want to see that list and everything I wrote down, uh, which definitely would be helpful if you're about to go put together a pitch deck. And by the way, a pitch deck is the slides you put up in front of investors and do your talk with in case you don't know. So I'll, I'll share the link for that along with this podcast at my blog, entrepreneurs-journey.com. Now, now, I do want to I say, though, Walter, you know, all of that is for startups. No way does an internet marketing lifestyle design entrepreneur, well, obviously, some of them will be potentially thinking about this as an option, but it's, it's bootstrapping. That's what, you know, internet marketers and lifestyle entrepreneurs usually do, uh, especially you know, your mom and pop sort of stay-at-home uh, business person. They don't want the complications of putting together the pitch. And I, and I have to agree that uh, one part of that attitude is that the process of getting ready to pitch takes you away from running the company. And that's hard when you're a startup. And I'm sure you guys are experiencing that or will be soon because you're going to have to put together pitch decks for when you go to San Fran, right? Yeah, we had a mentor roulette, they call it, where all the mentors, in this case, the previous companies that went through Startmate, give advice to the new companies. And they practically all said the same thing. It's not, you know, one person full-time, it's two people full-time, just getting out there, talking to investors, trying to get those meetings, and then eventually pitching. And you're supposed to be actually running the startup at the same time. Well, exactly. So we have a slight benefit in that we're, we're a team of three. So we've got three people who can go out and actually talk to investors. And if need be, I can still, you know, stay in the dorm and code away. But uh, yeah, at least we're not stuck for resources in mm. terms of time to get those meetings. It is interesting to sort of think about what's the best way to do this? Is it basically divide your time and go, all right, this month we're just about getting funding, you know, and obviously the first few months you put in some work in order to get some sort of traction. So you, when you do the pitching, you can show a product or you can show customers or something like that. Uh, of course, not everyone does that. I know people have pitched ideas when they've only had just an idea and still got funding. But I think most freshies, most newbies who don't have a track record, are going to need some kind of demonstration of traction or a demo version or something as part of their pitch to convince an investor. I'm guessing the formula for you guys is the first three months of this year, get as much done as you can in terms of product and customers. Then you're over to San Fran and then all three of you spend as much time as you can on getting funding. And then once you've secured funding, you get back to growing the business. Is that how it works? Exactly. The first three months right now, is just traction, traction, traction. We need customers and we need them to come in, we need them to pay and we need them to stay. Those are the three things we need. And we're just talking to 
you know, as many people as we can get our hands on, right? Yeah. I like the aspect of this that it gives you a deadline. I think the whole concept of pitching is a bit of a distraction. I, I will, you know, I, I don't like getting funding. I understand the need for it with larger companies. I understand the credibility you get from having big profile backers. Uh, but my lifestyle entrepreneur side of me who just wants to sit at cafes and write and have a nice, you know, internet business with money from advertising or selling training products or affiliate marketing, you know, and making a couple hundred to maybe a million dollars a year, uh, likes the simplicity of that model and in some ways likes the anonymity of that model too. It's a bit ironic because you're out there pushing your personal brand and, you know, trying to get known as an expert in something, but on some levels, you're not looking to get the level of exposure that's going to complicate your life too much. At least that's my personal view on that. Um, it's always a bit of a battle, I think, there with the introvert, you know, wanting to stay home and be by themselves, but also wanting people to know about them. <laughs> so it's a, <laughs> it's a contrast. But um, startups, I like that idea that you go, okay, we got to work because we're going to get in front of people and have to have something to show them. I think there's something there that a, an internet marketer, lifestyle design person could take and say you know what uh, I need to have something to show to my customers it's not as much of a deadline but I think going and getting a, a potential customer and then needing to deliver the product or the service is a, an important step and I've, it's funny because I, I say this now and I'm thinking where I'm at personally with my own business now because I'm at a bit of a reset point or at least I have been for the last 12 months kind of not building from scratch by any means but certainly needing to reinvent parts of my business and create a new product and so thing, so forth. And I'm comparing myself now at 34 to the guy who was 24, 10 years ago, who was very hungry, you know, didn't have much of an income from what he was doing. I, you know, I was just getting started and I didn't like a lot of the ways I was making an income. So I was keen to change and get the, the ideal business model for me and, and I guess, realize my potential, I felt as well. And that, that person was a, a lot hungrier and a lot more desperate in some ways, but that was a good thing because it did make me want to hustle more. And um, I'm trying to recapture that, but it's hard because there isn't anyone poking me <laughs> to get stuff done, <laughs> you know? Like, I guess I'm somewhat envious of an aspect of what you guys are doing. You have the deadline of, the pitching and the customers to get and all that. Plus you have the deadline of the onus of responsibility you feel to each other uh, as well, which I certainly felt with cranky ads. There was that, well, if Walter's working, I got to be working too uh, on something. So, uh, and, and, you know, if we're coming up to a pitch, then we all got to be on top of this and that, that creates action. So I like that part of it. Uh, but of course, as an entrepreneur, uh, you always have an element of self motivation there. And we all do. And that's one of the core skills I think entrepreneurs have to have if they're going to work. And I've had a lot of friends who don't have that. And that's why they're employees and should stay there. <laughs> so the, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use an analogy to just bring home how much hustle you need to do or you're expected to do. So if you know Richard Branson, then that's the minimum required right? You need to be that hungry and you need to be talking to that many people and be that excited all the time about what you do. Do you mean Richard from um, the early days or Richard now? Uh, Richard from the early days, right. definitely the early days. Never met that guy, but you know. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you see him on the TV. Well, yeah, well, you read his book, actually. That's probably the best thing to do. Yeah, that's, that's a good book. Losing My Virginity. Uh, yeah, that's the one. Another, another example is 
if you imagine having a small amount of money in the bank and then quitting your job and assuming you will get nothing for the next six months, but that money's not going to last you. And if you don't get it, get a client, get something, then you're not going to eat. Mm. You'll be out on the street. What are you going to do? It's that sort of frenetic energy, but in a, in a more positive way that you really need. Mm. So that's, that's my second analogy. And the third analogy, I've just forgotten. Oh, no, no, it's, that's right. It's, it's more of a saying. I've heard this somewhere else. But uh, effectively, don't start a business unless you're going to start a business like someone with his hair on fire looks for water. <laughs> so you need to be that hungry and that uh, motivated to look for a customer and every customer and really passionate and in everything you do. So you're in an elevator and you talk to someone. Because you're that excited about what you're doing, hence the term elevator pitch. Mm. But everywhere you go, you know, you're paying for a coffee at the counter. You talk to someone because you're that excited all the time. That's the energy you need. And ultimately, if you do that, then you can run a good, you know, internet business. If uh, if you get the if if you get the fundamentals down, running an internet business, then all you do is scale that up until you're at that level and you can run a startup. Like that's that that's what I love about this this experience. It well, really, I, I can really feel the brainwashing coming through here, Walter. They're, they're doing something to you in this place. Uh, I think you popped a pill or something because you know you, you're a little bit little bit motivated here. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> You've always I, been a hard worker, but you're you're talking like I don't know, an evangelist or something. <laughs> really? It's just, it's high energy, high energy all the time with so many people who are so passionate, so excited about what they're doing and they're just going out and changing the world. Okay, and see, that's, that's just classic pill-popping talk right there. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. But it's true. It is absolutely true. I mean, I've been doing this startup stuff for, oh. Too long now, seven mm. years, eight years. Actually, that is a good point, Walter. You've been doing this for a long time. How do you keep getting excited? I Pills. Always, <laughs> well, I always find something that uh, works better than I did the last time. So I like saying that if you're starting a, you know internet business or you know, a startup, whatever it is, uh, you don't know how close you are to actually making it big. You can be 90% there, you won't get any success. 95% there, you won't get any success. It's only until you get 99% of everything right that you'll start getting some success. And when I say you know 99%, I mean marketing, product, uh, you know, customer acquisition, uh, comments, you know, comments bam, whatever it is. Uh, you have to get everything right, everything right. Whatever's going to work for you, you need to get it right. And if you have one piece that's missing, so imagine you're really good at getting traffic, paid traffic, and you get awesome paid traffic, but you're really bad at uh, page design, web design, and you get lots of traffic to your site, but no one's signing up. Well, you know, you never know how close to success you are until you get all the pieces lined up. Mm. And then the last little piece could be a good website design that gets people signing up and then you make it big. But you never know until all those pieces are in place. So and, it's, uh, it's the incremental improvement towards something that, that's keeping you motivated each time 
Exactly. And I've been able to see the little bit uh, behind me that I missed that I then pick up and uh, fix up for my next venture. But it's not until in the last couple of months that I've actually seen the last 2 3% that I needed to really make my business take off. And I can actually see forward now as opposed to backwards and fixing something up. Now I can see forward and see the last little bit that I need to put it all together and really grow a fantastic business that changes the world. <laughs> can you hear, hear the pill popping in the background? <laughs> I can hear the theme, the theme music playing right now. I think it's the... <laughs> There's a chorus going on in my head. It's the uh, commencement speech you just did. <laughs> and I am Walter Haas. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Uh, Walter, you know, we're at 36 minutes, so I think we should wrap it up. Um, we didn't really talk much about the funding that I would have loved to have continued on, but I think there's some good yeah. good topics there. And we, we let's continue this next week. And maybe I, I really would like to discuss alternative funding options. And, and in particular, given you clearly you've run a few different businesses and so have I, what have we actually spent money on and how much have we spent in the past to get things started and what do we think was good and what do we think was a waste of money? I, I think that's a great topic and we could certainly have a call uh, for everything entrepreneurship next week on that subject. What do you say? Something a bit more practical. Sounds good. Yes. Well, you know, I like your motivating stuff too, Walter, but yeah, <laughs> let's mix it up. Okay. Um, firstly, thank you to John for sending in his question. I hope that was helpful. That was the answer we gave at the start of this call about SEO and link building. If you want to submit a question and get a, a very lengthy 15-minute reply from myself and Walter, then go to my blog, entrepreneurs-journey.com, and write a reply to the most recent podcast episode, which you should see on the blog on the front page, or just click the podcast tab and you can find it that way. Or you can email through a question, which can be text or an MP3 if you want to get your voice on the show. We will actually play back your question. You can do that by emailing yarrow at entrepreneurs-journey.com. Just let us know that that's for the podcast and we will answer uh, live. Try and keep it to no more than two minutes if you can uh, and we'll uh, reply that way. Uh, Walter, you are continuing the incubation process, I'm assuming, up in Sydney this week. So enjoy your busy week. Thank you. This will be day, this is day 15, day 15, straight working. Okay, so, well, yeah. let's hope you're still alive and kicking in day 21 next week whenever <laughs> we do our call. So, And I will be continuing to, to dive into the world of traffic growth. That is what I'm doing right now as I write my guide and, and actually really enjoying it because... I'm re-educating myself on what's current in the world of getting traffic online. So it's, uh, it's enlightening. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Walter, for joining me. Thank you. And uh, we'll talk to you all very soon. Everything Entrepreneurship with Walter and Yarrow. <laughs>